This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the very versatile Simon Belanger. We have a Monday release, and we're talking about the 20 bellwether stocks to track uh, on the market. And I think this is going to be a fun, fun listicle to go through. We're talking about lots of different companies, lots of different industries, and businesses we think that tracking them and specific metrics around them can give you a kind of unique insight and pulse onto the broader economy. Uh, we're not macro guys, but this is the way we do macro. <laughs> it's yeah, on a company yeah. specific basis. Uh, and I think that that's how it makes sense to my brain. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. I don't know if we have 20, but I'll, I'll just kind of go on. <laughs> you got to say some number that sounds yeah. sexy for the title, man. Yeah, 22. <laughs> well, 22. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think it'll be a fun discussion. And before we get started, um, let's define what a bellwether stock is. I think for most people, they may be aware, but uh, for the new listeners, maybe they haven't heard the term before. So according to Investopedia, um, and I'm not going to use the dictionary here uh, for those who are wondering what this is, our real estate, uh, the Canadian real estate investor, Dan and Nick, and Nick always uses this term, uh, dictionary when he uh, defines. <laughs> a new term so um, <laughs> i'll take a page out of his book it's uh uh the seminary no it doesn't 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 quite rhyme the same way but we, we can work no, on exactly. that it's a work in you progress work on that um, so according to Investopedia, it refers to a stock that is believed to be a leading indicator of the direction of the economy as a whole, a, spec a specific sector, or uh, the market in general. So there's different ways to look at it, and that's what we'll be doing is Braden, I think, is doing a bit more kind of more segmented areas, I would say. It's probably the right way to put it, where I'll try to look at it a bit more at broader sectors, but we'll have a bunch of names. I don't think there's any right or wrong way to look at it. Uh, it really depends what kind of information you're looking to gather just at looking at a specific type of company. And some will give you much better indication on the broader economy and some will be much better indicator on kind of specific segments of the economy. Yeah, that's a good point because like the way I'm looking at this is I'm not going to do a deep dive into any particular one of these companies or the industry that they're in, but just to give you an idea of how I think about this because you know, you and I Basically, you told me, let's, let's do this bellwether segment for the podcast. And I was like, I think it's a great idea. And then I looked at what you had written on your notes and I was like, Simone, like my, this is how, not how my brain works, <laughs> but that's okay. Let's do it our own way and explain it on the podcast because you're much more well versed in macro. You kind of have your, your, your finger on the pulse a little bit. I think you understand it better uh, than me. And I'm more. Bottoms up as an investor, I, I don't think I have any sort of kind of edge on the broader economy or having a pulse on the macro, but I'm really good at focusing on individual businesses. I think the combination of, I think that's kind of always how my brain works and being an operator of a few businesses myself, that's just like automatically where I go to. And I'm just going to go through a couple signals that I find particularly useful and sometimes I might just focus on one specific metric from these businesses. I think you'll understand what I mean. So uh, two companies, actually three companies I like looking at a lot for the broader economy, like as macro as you can kind of get. And those businesses are FedEx, Caterpillar, and any of the rails, but we'll use CN Rail for this this example. So for FedEx, I like looking at daily package volumes and average daily freight pounds. So how much is being moved on FedEx? And again, I do the same thing with UPS. I make a little tab on Strato and then I, I put them together. 
gives you kind of an idea long term. And, and when you chart this out, Simone, it's been a bit of a slow decline quarterly, quarter over quarter since, uh, you know, when things were, <laughs> when everyone was getting stimmy checks uh, in, in 2020. Yeah. Uh, so that's one I like to track. Next is Caterpillar backlogs. So total order backlogs uh, for Caterpillar. It has a good kind of idea on new construction, uh, infrastructure projects globally. And then last is CN Rail, which is looking at gross ton miles. So how much product is, uh, how much goods are moving via the rails over... Uh, over a certain period, in this case, quarterly, so gross ton miles. So those are three metrics I like to look at from three different companies. One caveat I'd like to say for today for all my content that I'm talking about today is, of course, there's other competitive factors at play here. Like if Caterpillar loses a bunch of market share, does that mean that there's no new construction projects starting? No, of course not. There's there's more competing factors at play here. But many of these businesses are pretty blue chip and, so, and solid and, and steady. So that, that shouldn't be too big of a concern uh, when you're trying to extract some information from it. Yeah. And I mean, Caterpillar, I would say on top of construction, it's a good indicator for the economy as a whole, but especially infrastructure projects. So large government funded projects, Caterpillar is usually like a, it's very, very frequently quoted as a bellwether stock. So probably it doesn't come to any surprise for anyone. And then Canadian National Rail or even a CP, I think they're a great indicator on what's going on with the the broader economy. And I talked about it with Canadian National Rail, National Rail in the previous episode is that they're starting to see a bit of a slowdown and they believe we're in a mild recession. And we probably won't know whether that's true or not until, you know, a couple quarters from now when the data starts coming out from, you know, StatsCan in Canada or the official sources in the U.S. So that's kind of why these bellwether stocks are so interesting. And that's a great example there. I'm using um, our like fancy your, new tool here. Uh, yeah, so exactly. This, these are for people who watch <laughs> watching the podcast. Uh, we're doing video now for, for joint TCI subscribers. <laughs> Hopefully, this gets up there in time. No promises, but you can see uh, total order backlog. It's actually at a all-time high here on uh, the last 12 quarters of data at uh, over 30 billion. So... Uh, I think it's a pretty useful metric. Let's see if we go out annually. Yeah, you can see it uh, It really picked up. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. So if we sound a little confused at times, it's because we're using this new tool and discovering features as we're doing Look it. Look at us, but, old uh, dogs yeah. learning new tricks. Look at us. Exactly. Um, so the way I'll take it next here is I was looking a bit more at the sector specific of the S&P 500, which were, we also have these similar sectors in Canada with the TSX. And the issue with the sectors, and I think you'll probably, I'm sure you'll agree with that, is that communication services, for example, it includes so many different things, uh, at least in the S&P 500, where they'll have, for example, like telecoms, but also companies like Google, which are, you know, they, they're definitely different businesses. And I think they can tell you a bit differently about how things are going in that sector because they, you know, one's kind of a pure, not necessarily a pure play, but it's very ad specific where telecoms like AT&T or something like that in the US would be, you know, much different. It could be also kind of shifting trends and patterns of behaviors for consumers, whether, you know, they're not using their cable anymore in favor of the internet and things like that. But I do think there's a good Canadian company that's a fantastic weather bell stock here, and that's BCE, also known as Bell Canada Enterprises. The reason why I use Bell Canada is just because Bell is so massive. And one of the reasons is that they have uh, wireless operations, wireline operations, which is your traditional cable, or also if you're getting high-speed broadband internet. But they also have a pretty large uh, Bell Media segment. So if you're thinking about TSN, CTV, and things like that. And one of the uh, things I'm going to share here for those who are uh, watching is that I actually, you know, I'm on Stratosphere here and 
just taking a little bit of time as I'm getting used to the tool, but you can actually see the various segments. Uh, BCE, the Bell Bell Media is definitely the smallest segments of the three that I just talked about. And the biggest one, to my surprise, is still the uh, kind of broadband wireline is still their largest segment. And then you have the wireless that's getting closer and closer over time. But it's just kind of, I think in my opinion, it's definitely a very nice and good way to look at things when it comes to uh, uh, communication services. I think it's a really good bellwether stock, at least for, for Canada when it comes to that. If you look at like net fiber ads that are going to be coming in too, like it's it's going to be a pretty good uh, measure of population growth here in this country as well. And yeah. that is for sure with all of the people. I mean, what? No, who's going to ring the bell when we hit forty million? Uh, if it, if we haven't already, so it's uh, it's definitely going to be a nice tailwind for these businesses. Let's talk about Accenture. Accenture is uh, one of the largest businesses on the planet now, and they are a giant consulting business. And what they do particularly well is outsource and build technology for large Fortune 500 companies. So there's, they do a lot of outsourcing and a lot of consulting work for special projects for these big companies who don't have the in-house tech talent to build some of these internal tools or have the capacity to take on some of this work that they need to outsource. And so Accenture is uh, the huge, huge gorilla in this space when it comes to spe- specialized in tech. And... If you look into their segments and you look into their transcripts, it's also really helpful to know in which segment where spend is going. Um, and that's important because you'll see spend from these Fortune 500 companies go up or down in certain categories that they're focusing on. And through all of this, we've seen lots of resiliency in technology uh, digital adoption, tr- digital transformations for some of these more lethargic, older traditional companies and cybersecurity as well as cloud. So it's, it's a good place to track bookings, net bookings in a lot of these segments of where some of these large Fortune 500 companies are allocating spend on outsourcing and developing new tools, uh, for their business because you know, when people are trying to cut costs, it's pretty easy to cut costs on consultants. And so you can, you can see which ones are being affected, where they're winning. And maybe it's not the best indicator because Accenture keeps all of their segments firing uh, and continuously growing because they're not only growing organically, but also acquiring. So uh, it's hard to decipher signal from noise there, but still yet again, uh, a specific business that can give you insight to uh, more than just their own business because of how massive they are and the nature of their work. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Not much to add there. So the next one, again, going a bit more by sectors here, uh, consumer discretionary. It's really interesting, this one, because there's a lot of different kind of businesses in this sector. I'll just go over the top 10 waiting for the S&P 500. So the first one is Amazon, second Tesla, Home Depot, Nike, McDonald's, uh, Lowe's, Starbucks, Booking Holdings, uh, TJX, I'm not sure. I guess it's the TJ Maxx and all that. Yeah, I'm not it's, quite uh, sure. Winners yeah. and home yeah, sales. Winners, all and, that. Yeah. That's right. And then O'Reilly Automotive. So there's a lot of different uh, variables here. The one I actually like as a really good bellwether stock for consumer discretionary. So things that, you know, people like, but they don't have to spend on is Starbucks. Uh, Starbucks, I think, especially if you're looking at the same store sales, because clearly you can see, you know, if you're looking at Starbucks specifically, you can be, well, they're still growing because they're opening tons of stores in China, for example. But if you look at the same store sales, uh, it can give you a really good indicator whether uh, things are going well or not in terms of consumer be willing to spend on small luxuries like uh, Starbucks coffee. Because at the end of the day, people may be addicted to coffee and I'm one of them, clearly. But 
there's cheaper alternatives. I can buy a massive bag at Costco uh, for like $11 and I'll have coffee for a whole month, basically. Uh, so that's, you know, for the cost of what two Starbucks latte, basically. <laughs> yeah, pretty so much. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good for the whole month. So for me, that's a really interesting one because it's something that is easily cut for people and it's definitely discretionary and there are some other cheaper alternatives available. Dude, I am hooked on uh, kicking horse coffee. You can get it at like every major grocery store now. Um, it's a Canadian Canadian brand. Uh, I, guess, I guess it's from out west and kicking horse. Uh, it must be where it came <laughs> from. Uh, I got hooked on it when I went out west recently and I, I run that through my coffee maker every morning. It's so good. It should, I mean, I, they should I send go, us a sponsorship this- deal for that. Yeah, for sure. I'd try it. I mean, I'm, I like uh, the cheaper alternative with Costco, but uh, <laughs> hey, give it, I'll give it a try any day. What I figure is like, like to what you're saying, I'm already saving so much money by buying the fancy at-home coffee compared to those trips to buy no fat, no foam, no taste Starbucks um, that I'm willing to do it. You know, like it's a couple extra bucks uh, a, a month, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it'll make, yeah, it's true. Like definitely just going from buying almost, you know, I know some people that buy coffees, takeouts every day. If you kind of cut that down to once or twice a week, uh, you can save quite a bit of money. But uh, what's your, uh, I, I like your next pick over here. LVMH for the luxury market, which has been on fire. Um <laughs> To say the least. And I've been very persistent about my thesis here is that a business like LVMH doesn't feel recessions because their customers are not affected by recessions. We're talking about the most exclusive, the LVMHs, the Ermies, the uh, Ferraris that sell everything they make no matter what. Like, Ferrari is another perfect example of this kind of luxury market where they sell every car they make. And if you want to buy a Ferrari, the exclusive, exclusive, like we're only going to make 50 of these Ferraris, you have to already own a Ferrari. You cannot go out and buy one of these exclusive, exclusive collectible Ferraris without already have have been in their funnel buying Ferraris. It's insane. And uh, you know, people who are feeling the effects of of the economy are not buying <laughs> two Ferraris. And I feel the same way about a lot of segments with LVMH. And if you look at LVMH's organic revenue growth, they're achieving double digits consistently for the past five years. Uh, minus that blip in 2020 when no one no one cared what they look like or, or flexing on their friends because they were at home. Uh, very consistently, you're seeing this growth organically from LVMH's different luxury brands. And luxury is just an entirely different beast that can't even be looked at like anything else because it's just so different. And the laws of the economy and consumer confidence don't exist there. Yeah. The, you know how I discovered Louis Vuitton is uh, I had never heard of it until I was like 21. I went to Taipei for a language exchange to learn Mandarin. <laughs> Some fake stuff. And I'm, what's that? Was it the, the fake stuff or here, go ahead. No, I, it was real. Off. And uh, yeah. And I, I met a girl over there and uh, she was like talking to me about like Louis Vuitton and she kept saying the name. I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, I never heard of it. Like, what's this? <laughs> and then she's she, like, like, we how, go and she's like, like, how you just explained how poor you are. You don't know what Louis Vuitton is. <laughs> And then we go into the shopping district and she's like pointing it to me in this like luxury store, like 500 US for like a tiny handbag or whatever it was back then in 2007. So that's actually how I learned about the brand. I had no idea until I was 21. I thought most people when they say like, you know, LVMH when I'm traveling, they, you know, go somewhere and buy the knockoff stuff. But I guess not when you're there in Taiwan and... um 
these are, I'm talking like flea market, you know, the knockoff stuff. Oh yeah. No, no. This <laughs> was in the, uh, like the, the one she showed me was definitely legit. It was not yeah. a flea market. It was like, no. you know, even wearing something nice, I felt underdressed going to that store. So. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause I, I want to do a podcast episode with you and I, I just wrote it on the, the documents when you're talking. Cause I thought of it. I want to go through like, just kind of like a personal episode and like what we like to spend like a lot of money on, you know, like more than most people, but you know, pretty frugal. But what are some things that, you know, we just love to spend like a lot of money and find it like provides a lot of value for, for your life. Yeah. Throw Louis Vuitton and LVMH products in the list of, I could not give two shits. Like I, I, I couldn't imagine spending the money on some of this stuff for like, you know, some fancy belt or pants or like, but hey, if, if that's what, if that's what you like, like really splurging on all the power to you. I, I want to do an episode about that though. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I definitely, I think we're on the same page for LVMH. Yeah. I, I don't mind. We're not adding to the organic growth right here. No, exactly. I don't mind paying extra for like good quality stuff that will last a long time, but I will not pay just to get like a brand yeah. because, you know, I'm paying for the brand, but for no additional added value. That's kind of where I come from. That's why, you know, I like Lululemon because their products last for a long time. But uh, yeah, stuff like, you know, Canada Goose and stuff like that. I'm like, I do not care on having the little patch on my arm. I think you and I are similar. What we will be brand snobs if it's like a functional thing. Like if it's like mm-hmm. a bike or golf clubs, you know, those would be on yeah. our list of like things we're willing to pay more for. All right. Let's talk about Visa MasterCard. There's three things here that are really important in terms of, uh, following. And those are cross border transactions. That's a great barometer for travel. You saw cross-border basically go to basically zero during the pandemic and come back with a vengeance on people tapping their cards from uh, outside of the country that the card was issued. It's obviously a great uh, barometer for digital payments as a whole, seeing that shift from cash to digital payments. And then overall, just consumer spending. I mean, I can't think of a better proxy for for consumer spending than Visa and MasterCard a quarter of a quarter. So I like all three of those looking at total transaction volume, cross border volume growth. And that tells you a lot. And it tells you a lot about how good these businesses are as well when you graph them out. Yeah. I mean, I don't have too much to add. I Visa or MasterCard, especially for consumer spend as a whole, uh, it's a very good indicator of how things are going. The next one on my list here is consumer staples. So the one that comes to mind uh, the most is Procter & Gamble, ticker PG. It's a really easy one here to uh, to look at. It has a whole bunch of different uh, uh, segments, which I'll show here for those watching on video. So we have the different segments. We have beauty revenue, grooming revenue, healthcare revenue, fabric and home care revenue, and baby feminine and family care revenue. So you'll see, you know, some segments are bigger than others, but for the most part, these are all things that people will need. And that's why it's a consumer staple. And I believe Procter & Gamble is the largest of the companies. Or if it's not, it's really up there in terms of that sector. So this is really an interesting one. A company that will pretty much do well regardless of the economic environment. Um, but I think it's a, a good company to, to look at, especially if you start seeing some sp- Pending patterns, uh, people may be going more for generic brands and things like that. But uh, one that is worth keeping an eye on won't, you know, it's not uh, the most exciting company, but uh, it should provide uh, some good indication if, um, you know, at least how things are going in terms of what you need in terms of essentials. Yeah, in terms of like, you know, I, I look at those companies, you know, the Procter and Gamble and, and, and they're different, but you know, there's also the Johnson and Johnson's and, and those kinds of just like ridiculously large conglomerates. I was looking here. <laughs> do you know what the uh, market cap of LVMH is today? 
I think it hit, hit half a trillion, yeah. what, didn't it? Exactly. Yeah, I think it's the largest com- European listed public company. I'm pretty sure I, I've heard that somewhere this week. Yeah. It is. It's half a trillion um, in market cap. <laughs> Holy. Then, then it, so, it's it's more than TSMC uh, as, as the largest international by market cap. Other than, I guess, Saudi Aramco. Yeah. We kind of forget about <laughs> we kind of, yeah, I, mean, I guess we kind of yeah. forget about Saudi Aramco every once in a while. But yes, largest mm-hmm. in Europe. And yeah, it's crazy. Bernard uh, right. Arnault is the richest man in the world, if not Europe. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I wouldn't I mean, until I heard it, I knew it was a large company. I never thought it would have been I don't know. I thought there would have been something else. I never thought that would have been the largest company and one company i mean we've talked about it before i can just see them you know the 2.8 billion market cap of canada goose in canadian dollars uh would be very easy for a company like lvmh to swallow up seems like a pretty easy tuck-in and you've talked about that i, I could see that happening mm-hmm. very even if easily. they give it a good premium yeah yeah um just yeah food for thought who knows it will happen but it feels like it would be a pretty good fit now we'll kind of shift on something else that's pretty essential energy um i'll kind of focus a bit more on oil here because it's still a big part of the economy to me the type of businesses are best in terms of uh, uh, bellwether stocks here are just integrated oil plays like an exxon mobil or suncor um, i could have chosen a canadian natural resources but they don't have refineries they also don't have retail operations so that's why I thought an ExxonMobil or Suncor in Canada is just a really good indicator on how that overall space is doing just because their operations are so broad and, you know, um, just gives you a good idea whether yeah, it's uh, firing on all cylinders or there's a lack of investment in the space um, and so on. So those are the two picks for um, that I think are good bellwether stock in this space. Good picks. Good picks. And just thinking like why you said that it touches on a lot of different things maybe it's retail maybe it's mobility kind of tracking but there's also kushtard um yeah in there as well all right let's move to small business small business i don't think there's a better public co to look at than maybe into it and their suite of software offerings they have their small business and self-employed segment, which is the largest segment, it includes QuickBooks, and I think they also include MailChimp in there as well. Uh, so two massive businesses now. It is doing a bajillion uh, in, in revenue these these days. That segment is doing seven, yeah, over seven billion uh, on a TTM. So gigantic. Right now, and, and they're flexing their pricing power. You're seeing the number of QuickBooks subscriptions continue to go up. So they're not only eating market share, but they're sh- they're showing kind of the digital adoption of small business. So that's one that I keep track of. And then, of course, Moody's and S and P Global when it comes to bond issuances track over time. Uh, on Moody's, you look at their their segment, and <laughs> you can see on the graph here, it's uh. Hasn't been such a strong line item for the business as when interest rates were basically zero and everyone was issuing bonds. Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, liquidity is also uh, tightened up big time. Um, I'm not sure. Obviously, that goes the graphic you have goes until December, so their latest quarter, I guess. Um, I'm assuming it's probably going to be morning. I think so. I'll, oh, okay, I'll okay. look that up while you're talking. Which- Okay. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense, but I, I feel like it's probably in the same direction just because what we've seen, one of the byproducts of the bank failures that we've seen in the US is that you're starting to see credit tighten. And that's one of the things that even the the Fed in the US and the Bank of Canada mentioned is that, you know, it actually in a weird way is helping them in terms of slowing down the economy because if credit tightens, it has the same type of effect uh, that you know, raising rates would have. So I think that's why we're seeing the Fed being more cautious on future rate hikes. Um, we might still see some more, but, you know, before the bank failures, I think uh, 
people were projecting like an extra 100 basis points, if not more until the end of the year. And that's not what's being projected right now because of that credit being tighter. There report i'm just pulling it up here moody's investor services their segment that's just the analytics segment and the investor services segment and then there's the corporate finance structured finance and yeah you're seeing a a 11 percent year over year uh decline in revenue for the moody's investor services yeah makes sense i mean if we were like for people who just, you know, put yourself back a year ago. Um, so the quarter just finished, I'm assuming it was probably the first three months of the year. Yep. January to March. Um, so if we go back to 2022, that's, you know, rates were still quite low at that time. So, uh, you know, rates didn't start really picking up until uh, later in 2022. So it makes sense that you'd see a pretty sharp decline. The decline may be less pronounced when we're, we start looking at Q2, 3, and 4 later this year, because then you have the kind of base effects that are not as significant as the first quarter of last year. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. Next one here, retail. Uh, so there's a couple of different ways to look at it. I'll look at it from a Canadian perspective, but also uh, massive retail plays in the U.S. Um, obviously, Amazon would be an obvious choice here because they have such a pronounced presence in online retail. But another one that I really like here is the good old Walmart. Uh, they had $611 billion in revenue in their latest full year with approximately 17% coming from international and 13% from e-commerce. So it still gives you a pretty good idea of, you know, worldwide global retail sales. Home Depot is another one uh, worth looking at, especially if you're looking at a bellwether stock when it comes to housing and home improvement. Um, They have a big pro, uh, you know, they do a lot of uh, pro sales. So, you know, you have contractors and things like that that have preferential uh, pricing and things um, of that nature. So it's something really interesting to look at if you're wanting to gauge where the housing market is going. Not the only one, but I think a good indicator. And from a Canadian retail perspective, um, I think the good old Canadian tire is a pretty good one when you think about it because they have several segments. And if you're really just looking at the, uh, you know, the Canadian economy, you, they have Canadian Tire, they have Sport Check, they have Mark's Warehouse, Helly Hansen, they have obviously gas-related revenue with their gas stations, and they also have financial uh, services revenue. Um, the largest of them is clearly the flagship Canadian Tire revenue, but I think it's a pretty good indicator because they just sell such a wide range of stuff. I mean, they even have some little grocery items uh, when you go in there. So I think that's a really good bellwether stock for the overall Canadian economy. Um, Not a company I'd invest in. Um, I think these are just, you know, bellwether stock doesn't mean that we, you know, like the companies necessarily, but it's still a good indicator on where things are going. Dude, every time I go into Mark's work warehouse, I ask myself, why don't I go to Mark's work warehouse more often? (laughs) I, I love that stuff. Uh, it's good stuff. You know, it's some of the, you know, you need a flannel. It's good. It's good value. It's good quality. I'm all, I'm all in. I mean, I love Canadian Tire now because we have the largest one in Canada and Ottawa. Oh, so it's always ship. The flagship, exactly. It's just, <laughs> it's, I mean, if anyone lives in Ottawa and you haven't been to the new one in uh, kind of the Ottawa Center West um, around the Woodruff, uh, Woodruff Avenue, people who live in Ottawa will know where that is. Go and have a look. It's just a massive store. It's, it's hard to explain. Dude, what? Helly Hansen has like doubled their business in four years? Looks like it. I mean, I don't know the site I pulled the data from <laughs> telling you <laughs> telling me they Dude, have. Helly Hansen is $645 million in, in 20... Oh, we don't... It looks like you're, you've, uh, your, your screenshot's a little cut off there. So I'm, <laughs> I have to look at the, the newest oh, version. Yeah. Uh, but the Helly Hansen, I didn't know it was that big of a business. I mean, I know that... I didn't know either. I know they have a like, great market share with ski jackets... Um, you know, you see them all over the place and you're at the ski hill, but that seems like a lot more than I would have expected. So that's a pretty good asset. 
Yeah, I think they had paid how much? Like, I think they had paid like a billion for it or something like that. It wasn't a crazy price. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming so the margins are pretty wonderful on that. It's a, it's a premium product. Yeah, I mean, I'll uh, when you go through your your next one, I can yeah take a look. <laughs> I can look it up. All right, let's talk talk about uh, experiential spend. So I'm going to pull up uh, Live Nation and Airbnb. So Live Nation, of course, the uh, owner of the infamous Ticketmaster, and they track total fans. It's an estimated number, but it it's pretty close. Given they're the ones that sell the tickets, it's pretty close. Um, and so total estimated fans has come roaring past the 2019 numbers. Uh, so of course we had a complete drop off in ticketing and fans and events uh, 20 through 21, but it is now at 121 million total estimated fans at Live Nation experiences last year. Uh, so that's that's one to track. I think experiential spend is going to persist even when people have tight money. You know, you and I were just talking about like, what do people want to see? There's only so much left over. What are you going to use it on? I think experiential is here to stay as well as those trips and those experiences, whether they're local or, you know, vacations out of country in Airbnbs, nights and experiences booked continues to compound an exceptional rate. Of course, that is Airbnb have been taking market share uh, from hotels over time, but I think we're going to reach a steady state where Airbnb has its place, hotels have its place, uh, events have their place, and they're all, I think, going to be uh, beneficiaries of experiential spend increasing over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have too much uh, to add to that. Um, We'll move on to industrials because I guess we still have a little bit uh, left to go through. Uh, Not too much to add here, but industrials, typically you'll have companies like uh, CP, Canadian National Rail, that we just talked about. Um, They're really good bellwether, not to kind of say the same thing as before, as the general economy and Caterpillar, like we said, for infrastructure spending is definitely a a good one to keep an eye on or construction projects. Um, For those not familiar with CAT, uh, they do like large construction vehicles like bulldozers and things like that. Let's talk about used cars. None other than Copart, uh, ticker CPRT. Total used vehicle revenue is a line item I like to look at. And of course, they have a long list of businesses that compete with them. But I think Copart is the most high quality asset here uh, as a whole. It's a very wonderful business, you know, kind of the salvage business. And then there's this used vehicle business. Uh, they've, they've really done a good job and it has really taken off on the <laughs> used car market as of basically since you had real supply issues in 2020. And it's been persistent, not only in uh, the demand for used cars, but also the uh, the price of them as well has been elevated for those reasons. And of course, they're connected. But Copart, there's a couple other names in there as well. Used cars are good good proxy for that market. Yeah, yeah. And I think to add there, the next one here, again, going a bit more by sectors, financials. Um, so the first thing about financial is, you know, you'll have different type of businesses that will be considered in that financial sector. A lot of banks, obviously, but also a lot of insurance companies. That's why I pick Royal Bank here, a Canadian company, because they're really well diversified. Uh, so, yes, they're a traditional bank, but they also, you know, have different parts including personal and commercial ba- uh, banking, wealth management, insurance, and treasury services. Uh, so like treasury services would be like custodian type of services, so holding funds for other companies. So to me, it's a really good uh, bellwether stock for the financial sector as a whole. Um, even over at JPM, like JP Morgan in the US, because they don't have any insurance services. So I think that's where Royal Bank kind of differentiates itself in terms of being a bellwether stock for the financial sector. Alcohol. Look no further than Anheuser-Busch, the large conglomerate of alcohol brands, beer brands. And they will break out uh, 
in segments geographically, but also total volume. So this is helpful to track because we, I had in a segment there the other day that Canada had like a, a net negative, uh, D, so it was a, a decrease in volume of alcohol sold for like the first time in, I don't know, like 30 years or something. But sales were up because of inflation. And so if you actually track total volume, I think that that's an interesting way to, to understand alcohol trends and consumption more than revenue because that's including pricing. And so you get a little uh, distracted there. If you look at total volume globally for Anheuser-Busch, it has increased steadily. It's been basically flat since 17, but it's increased steadily on the long run. And of course, that's them also tucking in brands and growing as a company. But the North American volume has been on a steady decline basically since 2013-ish. A very steady decline on the North American volume of alcohol sales from Anheuser-Busch. So, of course, there's competing factors in here. There's market share factors in here as well. But this is a you know global alcohol brand. They don't just sell just Bush or just Bud. It is uh, Corona as well. There's there's tons of brands in there. This is the the giant long list of them. And uh, you know <laughs> they've they've had their uh, fun time in the media as of as of late. With uh, wouldn't Corona be a uh, consolation? So it's interesting how this works. Constellation Brands has like the distribution rights or something. Okay, okay. There's, I've studied this before and I forget it all the time, but there's some unique relationship between Anheuser-Busch and Constellation Brands. No, that's fair. And I mean, it looks like, I mean, millennials and... uh Gen Z aren't picking up the slack for uh, baby boomers. I think for, uh, you know, baby boomers maybe get drinking a bit less as they get older and then Gen X and Gen, uh, Gen Z and millennials uh, not picking up if it's been a trend over what, 10, 10 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see where this lands. We've talked about this quite a bit, but mm-hmm. the, I think the millennials, Gen Xers will keep drinking it's really the big question around this Gen Alpha and Gen Z cohorts where it's <laughs> a strong change in uh, the TikTokers. Let's call them the TikTokers. A strong change in demand for alcohol on the on the downside. Maybe on the yeah. upside for humanity, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but not for Anheuser Bush. Yeah, and the next one here, so uh, again, staying with the sectors, so healthcare, it's a really big sector, especially in the U.S., not really that big in Canada for publicly listed companies. There's not much to choose from here. So for the U.S., I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. Uh, first, you um, you have like insurance, health insurance insurers. Uh, so those, United Health is probably the most obvious name because it's a massive company in the U.S., the other one that comes to mind as a good bellwether here is Johnson & Johnson pre-spinoff because they will be spinning off their consumer business, which represents about 17% of their sales. The rest is their pharma division. Uh, the new consumer division will be called CanView. Um, if you're looking to understand why they use that name, um, I'll kind of reference what they mentioned makes no sense but you know i'll just say (laughs) what it says um it was inspired by two powerful ideas the world the word can k-e-n meaning knowledge an english word primarily used in scotland and the word view reference site so can view which makes no sense for (laughs) the consumer business but whatever that's the name that they chose um, but the reason I, yeah, I think as a whole before the spinoff, I think it's a, definitely a good bellwether stock for, you know, not just pharma, not just consumer, but all of it as a whole. I like how when you said that, <laughs> there was going to be like some sort of thing that connected those two things, you know, one, like one plus one equals two. And it was just like apple plus orange equals what is going on here? Pretty uh, much. <laughs> I don't know how they come up with drug names like 
He's just like a random word generator. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is like going to be a publicly listed company too for consumer products. I mean, it's going to have brands like Tylenol, Listerine, and Band-Aid. So I don't know. I don't associate these things with Canview. That's just <laughs> that's just me. Maybe you do. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> don't bucket me in there. I, I'm not on board of <laughs> Canview. Let's talk about McKesson, which is a Cardinal Health and McKesson Corp are the two large pharma distributors. So they huge by revenue businesses with razor thin margins in the distribution of drugs business. And this has been side note, a stock. So how many times on the podcast have I said, why is the stock so cheap? What am I not understanding? And oh man, it's had a, I, I should have bought the stock. I think it's had an absolute field day. Uh, yeah, it's up 130% since, uh, it's up 200% since 2019. I should have, uh, I should have put my money where my mouth was because trading like 16 times earnings today and it was a single digit. Like that's all multiple, multiple expansion, that return. So, uh, pretty tremendous performance. So that's McKesson Corp and Cardinal Health are two large drug distributors and, uh, it can tell you a lot about the pharma business is just the actual distributors. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Cause the, the trickiness with pharma business and, you know, coming up with new drugs is that it's a bit tricky because there's patents related to that. So they kind of have a monopoly for a number of years and then they don't. So it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's almost like the company who has the best research and development and the best pipeline of new drugs and existing drugs that will do the best. And that kind of can go be up and down depending on what they have in their pipeline. So that's the trickiness of uh, pharma companies. But uh, Merck's is one that has really stood the test of time as well if you're looking for pharmaceuticals. Um, but obviously, J&J as a whole as well. Um, there's some pretty massive companies in that space. There are some massive names. And you just look at like the total return on United Health. Over time, it's like absurd. Uh, yeah, it's been. I mean, I guess you know, people in the states, it's private private healthcare, and uh, people need healthcare. So, and you have a um, country as massive as the U.S., you're gonna have some big winners there. Yep it's uh it's got such a nice tailwind behind healthcare, and I don't know how to analyze any of it. If I was a doctor, honestly. I feel like I would strictly play in healthcare, know what I'm doing and make so much money and have like a nice edge. That's what I would do if I was a doctor. Yeah. Or pharmacist. Pharmacist would probably be the best at understanding the drugs. I mean, the doctor, I think for the most part, I mean, if we have doctors uh, listening to us, I think they tend to specialize, right? Uh, unless you're more of a generalist and kind of a family doctor or ER doctor. But if not, it's very specialized. So I don't know how well they'd be equipped to analyze like different types of healthcare companies depending on what their specialty is. Maybe they are. I just don't know. Right? Yeah, I guess it's such a huge field. It's like saying like, yeah. <laughs> like you're an engineer, so you must be good at analyzing construction. And then you're just like, well, I don't, I'm not a civil engineer, actually. I am a nuclear engineer or I'm a chemical yeah. engineer. So, of course, I, yeah. I think I'm oversimplifying <laughs> it here, but just like if you have an edge here at all, it's there's a lot of money to be made here, I feel like in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what I'm doing, so I just kind of steer clear. Yeah. Yeah, pharmacists, I feel like, would probably be really well-placed, at least for pharmaceutical, because they probably know, you know, what kind of drugs are the most used or what type of drugs are the most used frequently. So they can probably... The competitive landscape. You know, yeah. The yeah, relationships between the distributors, the pharmacists, and the, the doctors prescribing. Like, there's so there's there's layers to this stuff that insiders understand a lot better than generalist finance backgrounds yeah no exactly and i'll i'll go oftentimes i don't know like just uh if you have kids you know at some point is, or if anyone has kids is you know there's been a shortage of baby tylenol 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one thing you can do is you take the ones that are for kids that are a bit older, but then you just go to the pharmacist that's there and they'll give you a chart in terms of how to adjust um, the dosage for a baby, for example. So mm. they're really good at, I mean, at the end of the day, they're the experts when it comes to understanding the uh, the prescription drugs or any type of over-counter drugs. Um, and I think they're, they're an underutilized resource for a lot of people. That's a good point. I am. I'm on board with that. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. We appreciate you very much. This has been... 20 with an asterisk, how many names we talked about. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, anyone's guess at this point. A uh, bunch of names that are bellwethers for the economy or bellwethers for certain segments of the economy. And I think this has been pretty useful for both of us. I know I've built a bunch of different views on, on, the, web, on the web portal on some of these names to just take a look mm-hmm. at and, uh, it's interesting seeing which companies disclose which metrics because some of them are more kind of generous than others, as you can tell. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if we missed any, let us know because I'm sure we did uh, miss a few yeah. a few uh, important bellwether stocks. So, you know, let us know on Twitter or however, you know, however you want to reach us. <laughs> you can let us know at jointci.com. That is our Patreon to support the show get some video, get our monthly portfolio that will have just basically dropped when this comes out, our updates on our monthly portfolio. And uh, FinChat V1.2 is out. That is at finchat.io. It's the chat GPT for finance. Got some tremendous support already. There's By the time this comes out, there's probably already 35,000 users on it. That's, uh, I'm making your... Uh, I'm just trying to make your small investment into my company into uh large one, Simone. One day at a time. Hey. Yeah, one day at a time. In the meantime, you know, we have the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So many stuff. So much stuff going on. And uh it's 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 hard to keep on top of all of it, but it's a lot easier with the support of all the listeners on the show. So we really appreciate you. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.